Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. So good to be here, my goodness. I, uh, this place is contagious. I, I mean, in a, in a good sense. There's a, a Holy Spirit pandemic about to break out. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So, are these guys amazing or what? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's, uh, I have something very important to read, so let me do that. Is, can we get the lights up a little bit? Is that, is that legal? I, uh, I, I like seeing seeing you. Thanks. I'm sorry if that ruins anybody's video, so I, I, I may not do that tomorrow night, but uh, an old geezer who had been a retired farmer for a long time, became very bored, decided to open up a medical clinic. Put a sign up outside that said, Dr. Geezer's Clinic. Get your treatment for $500. If you're not cured, you get back $1,000. Dr. Young, who was a real doctor, was positive. This old geezer didn't know anything about medicine. Thought it'd be a great chance to make some money. So he went to Dr. Geezer's clinic. This is what happened. Dr. Young walks in and he says, Dr. Geezer, I've lost all the taste in my mouth. Can you please help me? Dr. Geezer turns to the nurse, says, please bring medicine from box 22, put three drops in Dr. Young's mouth. Dr. Young screams out, ah, that's gasoline. Congratulations, you've got your taste back. That will be $500. Dr. Young gets annoyed. He goes back after a couple days trying to figure out how to recover his money. He walks in, he says, Dr. Geezer, I've lost my memory. I cannot remember anything. Dr. Giza turns to the nurse, please bring medicine from box 22, put three drops in the patient's mouth. Dr. Young yells out, oh no you don't, that's gasoline. Congratulations, you've got your memory back. That'll be $500. Dr. Young, having lost $1,000, leaves mad. Comes back after several more days. He says, my eyesight has become weak. I can hardly see. Dr. Giza says, well, I don't have any medicine for that, so here's your $1,000 back. He looks at it, he says, but this is only $500. Congratulations, you've got your eyes <laughs> uh, I just think that's so funny, so. <laughs> They've done uh, medical studies and they have found that women who add a few extra pounds live longer than the men who mention it. <laughs> Note to self. <laughs> Let me mention a couple of the books that, that I have back there. Uh, this one's called Born for Significance. Um, Every, every person is designed for unique influence and impact on humanity. And uh, he didn't make any mistakes. And he created with a tremendous creative capacity 
And we all have access to the resource of heaven to accomplish what he's assigned us to do. So this is, uh, this is about mastering the p- purpose, process, and peril of promotion. Uh, because promotion carries such a price, but it's such a glorious thing. Open heavens, this is really about revival, reformation, and renaissance. It's supposed to be building blocks. And then the last one I'll mention is the power that changed the world. Uh, this morning, the uh, pastor was kind enough to promote dreaming with God. This is part two of dreaming with God. This actually has to do with the role of wisdom in transforming culture and society. Anybody here have a birthday today? Huh? If you have a birthday today, come, come forward. Okay. Just, pick, just pick one. Michael, I'll need you to get some more books. We got lots of birthdays. Thank All right, you, you bet. You. Welcome, Merry Christmas. Over here. Anybody else? Yeah? Right here? Well, come here. I'm going I'm to make you walk. I'm supposed to stay inside the border. All right. There you go. Merry Christmas. Was there someone back here, too? Yeah? Well, well yeah, wherever you are. Michael, right here, will take you back and get you one of the books. Just come on up. Come on, be bold, be courageous. Anybody else wish your birthday was today? Yeah. Oh my, all right, Uh, grab your Bibles. We're gonna look at uh, God's word. I want you to open to Mark chapter six. And (laughs) I'm getting to know you. I'm I'm gonna spot you in the crowd, I can tell. Is there any other birthdays? There's, okay. All right. I want to make sure we get all the, all the birthday people. I've got such a, a, a fearful excitement for what's happening here. I, I really do. I'm, I'm, I'm nervous and happy both at the same time. Um, Psalms 2 gives this command, it says, to rejoice with trembling. It's, it's the oddest combination of expressions. But I, I, I have both of those going on inside of me because it's such a holy thing that he's doing. I even hesitate to mention that because those kinds of phrases are used in hype so often. But it is genuinely uh, a work of God that, that is happening here that could, could birth something to truly affect the nations. You're already doing that as a church family. Your reach, your impact is so significant. But I, I keep having this sense that there's, a, there's, a, a, there's about to be an elevation. Um, I, I, can, I can see it, but I can't describe it, if that makes any sense. I, I sat over here during worship uh, again this evening, especially this evening, just having that sense that, that you, just, you need to get ready. And I don't know 
what to have you do. <laughs> Get ready. What do we do? I don't know. I, didn't, I haven't gotten that far yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For us, going back quite a few years, when Randy Clark came, and he's coming this week, he's one of my best, best friends ever. And uh, when he first came to Reading, we had something significant happen and that we were seeing miracles in our corporate gatherings and we were seeing things happen every week. And, uh, and I met with him and told him what was happening and invited him to come and he said he was willing and he came and something happened that week where in his coming, there was such an impartation of grace imparted to our church family that the, the miracles went from weekly to daily and, and there was a tremendous shift in that there were, there were actually more miracles that happened outside of the corporate gathering than inside. It, it never stopped. It increased inside. But what happened outside? And that's, that's the mark. For me, that's the mark. I mean, I love when people come into the house, and I love the privilege that we have to celebrate, rejoice together. I, I love it so much. But I also know that and unless we can translate what we, what we experience here into a corporate secular setting, we will not succeed in bringing the transformation that all of us long for. Transformation doesn't come by going to Costco and holding a church service. I don't mind if that happens. I've told our folks, I said, listen, when the Spirit of God falls in Costco, call me. <laughs> call me. I, I want to be able to come get on the microphone and say, if you need deliverance, come to cash register number one. <laughs> you know, you need healing in your body, come to cash register number two. I mean, I've already got it planned. And, and I love that that stuff happens out in, in the public place. But what's actually needed is to be able to translate the presence, the power, the effect of the gospel on us, translated into marketable is the wrong term, and I don't like it, but I'm going to use it here. Hopefully, you'll give me the grace, into a, a marketable, something that communicates well to culture and society that we serve and love so well, something that they have value for. Part of our problem in, in trying to reach the lost is we tend to answer questions that they're not asking. We see it with Saul when he was, before he was king as a young man. His dad had lost all their donkeys and he was sent out to find them. So he went with his servant out to find the donkeys and they, they looked for several days. They, they couldn't find him. Finally, Saul said, my dad's going to be more concerned about me than the donkeys if we don't get home. And his servant said, well, let's go to, let's go to the city over here because there's a prophet there. He knows everything. And so they go to Samuel as, he's, as, as Saul is approaching. Samuel basically announces, your donkeys have been found. Come back tomorrow morning and I'll tell you all that's in your heart. He came back the next morning and Samuel prophesied that he would be king. But listen to what happened here. Samuel answered the question that Saul had. So he'd be positioned to answer the question Saul should have had. 
He should have had questions about his destiny. He's in the presence of a prophet. None of his words fall to the ground. And his concern was for donkeys. So Samuel served on that level. And in serving on that level, positioned himself to answer the question he should have had. I actually want to add on to what I did this morning. It's not the same message or the same portion of scripture, but the same concept of the renewing of the mind. The, the renewing of the mind is, is, so, uh, is so profound. It's the target of the Lord, I think. It's the target of the Lord for my life, every single day of my life. He's, he's constantly trying to teach me how he thinks. He's constantly trying to teach me how he, how he perceives things what he values, and he's, he's, he's working to expose me to his inner workings, because that's what friends do. In John, he said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends, because the servant doesn't know what the master's doing. The implication is friends get to see the inner workings. Friends get to see behind the scenes, the motivations, the thought processes. All of this stuff is within, uh, within reach of the friend. And we are not friends with God because we sing the song, we're friends with God. <laughs> Friendship takes time, takes interaction. It's, it's development of trust. It's the ability to be quiet. It's the ability to be bold. It's, the, it's all these things work together to help us to become one that God would confide in. He shares things to us that must be shouted from the rooftops, and he sometimes shares things with us that no one else is to know, at least for a season. And my capacity for silence is the most important lesson after I've learned the capacity for boldness. I want us to read a story here that uh, is very meaningful to me in this subject of the renewed mind. So we're going to read quite a few passages. So if you have your Bibles, open to Mark chapter 6. Did I tell you? <laughs> yeah. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. Yes. I was, uh, Mark chapter 6. We're going to start with verse 30. The apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Stop right there. Let me give a context. You remember, Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. And they would go to a particular city. They would see extraordinary things happen. And so now they are returning from their missions trip and they're coming back to meet with Jesus and they are letting him know, they're letting him see the spoils of them functioning in his name. Verse 31, he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in a boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing. Many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude. He was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place. Already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. And he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. 
this is all of that story that we're going to read for, for right now. I love this story for so many reasons. I guess I like all of them. I highly recommend the entire Bible beginning to end. Uh, I, uh, I, 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 believe, I believe everything that's in here, I, even the maps. Uh, table of contents, I'm in. Just count me in. I, the whole thing's mine. Right. Jesus gathers his disciples together and they bring the spoils. And they're tired. All, all ministry is both exhilarating and exhausting. And they're tired and they're looking for private time with Jesus. So he says, come on, let's go by ourselves to a deserted place. And so they're pretty excited. They get to go on a little cruise with Jesus to a deserted place. And they get there. And all the people from that side of the lake are now on this side of the lake. And you can imagine as they're approaching shore, they see the crowd and they go, wait a minute, that guy was right over there. And uh, so there's got to be a certain amount of frustration in the disciples' heart because their vacation just got stolen. And so they get on land, and of course, Jesus does what he does. He's moved with compassion again. And so the disciples have a great idea. In my perspective, they want to validate and cooperate with Jesus' compassion, thinking they have an insight to his compassion. They come to him and say, we're deeply, deeply burdened for this crowd. Like you, like you, Jesus, we, we are concerned. And we think you should send them, we think you should send them away uh, to surrounding villages so they can buy bread and not die on their way home. And thinking they, they tapped into the compassion thing, they, um, they got surprised as Jesus said, you feed them. You can imagine their nervous laughter waiting for Jesus to break character, and he doesn't. You feed them. What happens next is fascinating. You can read the rest of the story on your own. They sit down in groups of 50 and 100, the different uh, stories, uh, gospel writers give us additional details. They sit down. They find the loaves, the fishes. Jesus hands them out to the 12 disciples. They go among the crowd and they feed them and then they collect the leftovers. Verse 45. Thanks. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. He sent the multitude away. And when he sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. He saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed by. When they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. They all saw him. They were troubled. Immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Here's our key verse. For they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was still hard. Fascinating story. They just have this multiplying of food, which we made reference to this morning. 
they had this experience with Jesus where the food multiplied and the multitude was fed. And yet when they came to the next story, the next part of their journey with Jesus, they are facing a storm again. And, uh, and Jesus comes walking on the water. It's fascinating. He planned to walk past them. He actually doesn't plan to walk into every problem that we have. Uh, he's confident in the fact. He said, you're going to the other side of the sea. Uh, you're going to the other side. Out of panic and fear, the disciples see him. They cry out to him, not sure who it is. He comes calms the storm, it's an extraordinary story. Most of what you want in life, excuse me, most of what you need in life will be brought to you. Most of what you want, you'll have to go get. Oftentimes Jesus is walking by, but not walking to. I hear many people say, well, God knows we are hungry for a revival. He knows where we live. And it's one of the most insulting comments that we can make as believers. Because wives men, wise men still travel. It may be across town. It may be to your neighbor's home. <clears throat> Maybe to another church is experiencing a great outpouring. But the point is, is that we expose ourselves to what God is doing in the earth. We make it a priority. We remain loyal to the house that God's put us a part of. But we also understand that that God sometimes works in and through other people and it's important for us to honor the work of God upon them. Yeah. It's when you honor a prophet in the name of a prophet, you get the prophet's reward. When you honor what the Spirit of God has chosen to do through another person or movement, that's when you access what they bring to the game, what they bring to the table. And it's that, it's that kind of honor that says it doesn't have to all start with me. Many people criticize and critique, if you will, moves of God simply based upon if that was of God, he would have done it to me first. Oftentimes what we accept or reject is based on God's dealings with us instead of actually the dealings of God in Scripture. What fascinates me about this story, there's so many things, but number one, is in the story of the loaves and the fishes, Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, you feed them. And when they complained or when they objected because they didn't have enough food, he didn't pull back the command. Listen to this. He did not withdraw their assignment. Just because they didn't have enough food, just because they didn't know what to do, didn't mean Jesus changed his plan. He said, you feed them. One of the extraordinary postures of the renewed mind is the renewed mind lives with the realization that God enables whatever he commands. One of the most important postures of the renewed mind is living with the realization God enables what he commands. In Luke 1 verse 37 is this decree for nothing will be impossible with God. And one of the great, great fathers of the faith in my life, and for, for many of us, <clears throat> Jack Taylor, wonderful man, went home to be a Jesus, I don't know, two years ago. 
And uh, he would, when my dad died, my dad was the greatest encouragement in my life. And, um, and when he died, uh, Jack told me, he says, I'll be that for you. And he would write me constantly, just words of encouragement. And he was that for me. But I remember hearing him speak um, on this passage out of Luke 1, verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. It was the most fascinating definition of that verse I'd ever heard. He said, he said, number one, the word nothing is actually two words in the original language. The word no, and it's the word rhema. No, nothing is no rhema. Rhema is a freshly spoken word of God. So he begins to break down the meaning of this passage and it really provoked me, stirred me, invited me. He says, nothing will be impossible. Impossible means without ability. So listen to this. Here's, Jack said, this is how this verse could actually be translated. No freshly spoken word of God will ever come to you that does not contain its own ability to perform itself. Come back tomorrow night and I'll say it again. <laughs> no freshly spoken word of God will ever come to you that does not contain its own ability to perform itself. So when Jesus said, you feed them, he released the capacity to do the miracle. Fast forward, they, they see the, the, the crowd fed and there's leftovers. Tonight's message really only has one point. I'll get to it soon. <laughs> Hopefully I don't fly this plane into the side of a mountain again as I did second service this morning. But, uh, <clears throat> so the people are fed and then they get into a boat. Jesus declares you'll be going to the other side. And when they get in this boat, they see Jesus walking. Of course, he comes into the boat, the storm stops. And it says they were marveled and amazed because their hearts were hard regarding the loaves. If, you're, if you were here this morning, remember what I talked about out of Mark 8 was that the miraculous is supposed to teach us how to think and how to see from a kingdom perspective. It's supposed to alter the way I see reality. I can't see problems the same way I did before I've seen a miracle. There's something that shifts. And so here are the disciples. They see the miraculous multiplying of food. And in Jesus' mind, that was training for a storm. See, it doesn't have to be about food. So a miracle be released about food. What did they miss? What did they miss in the multiplying of food? They were perfectly obedient. We have no record of any objection, any unbelief. We have no record of uh, them disagreeing with your assignment. They did exactly what Jesus said to do. When they were through, there was, they didn't take the glory for themselves. Jesus was celebrated and honored. Everything worked perfectly. And yet from God's perspective, they had hardness of heart that made them incapable of dealing with their next problem. Are you guys with me on this? It, 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 almost like a disjointed, uh, like a dislocated joint, they were, they were incapable of, of adequately dealing with the next challenge that they were facing. And that was a storm. What did they miss? 
they missed the fact that the food didn't multiply at Jesus' hands. It multiplied at theirs. See, Jesus didn't take loaves and fishes, throw them in the air and go shazam and create a big pile of food. Because then, you, you, then you've got a riot. Instead, what did he do? He divided the small portion he had into smaller portions and gave it to the 12 disciples. And as they went out, the food multiplied in the giving. Jesus said, you feed them. And they never caught the fact they actually did. Why was that important? Because Jesus also said, you're going to the other side of the sea. And they're in a boat, and Jesus intends to walk past. Why? He's not being cruel. He knows that in the decree is the ability to fulfill the commission. But they don't know it. They don't realize that in, in the decree was the capacity to do exactly what he said, which was impossible. We were doing, a, Chris Valentin and I were doing a series of meetings down in Mexico. We had a, kind of a crusade thing, which, which I just rarely, rarely ever do. But we had this uh, small little gathering of people in this arena and, and uh, preached the gospel, invited people to come to Christ. And the first night, we had about 70 people or so come forward. We had uh, two boxes of Bibles to give out. So we take them behind the stage. There's this little walkway that they have to go through. It's the only way to come out from this area. And these two boxes of Bibles, total, uh, total of 96 Bibles, we had to give out. So we gave out the 70 or so that uh, were needed for that evening. And the next night, we forgot to bring more Bibles. I didn't even know it until after the evening was over. We invited people to come to Christ, and there was about 200 people or so that came forward. They all went behind the stage. They all had people ministering to them and praying. And then they lined up and walked past the remaining Bibles. And the guy who was handing out the Bibles ran out with the last person because they actually multiplied in number. <clears throat> we had a, a team was ministering with uh, Ronald and Heidi in, in uh, Baker in uh, Mozambique. And they're in this uh, area where they, uh, they had a, a group of people that they wanted to get bread for. So they went down to the market and bought these little loaves of bread and wanted to have one to give to everyone. But when they came back from buying the bread, they had three bags. When they came back, the crowd had uh, increased in size significantly. And they looked at each other kind of in panic, like, what do we do? We don't have enough. Do we break the, uh, break the loaves up so that everybody gets a bite? What do we do? And somebody said, why don't we just give everyone that we can a whole loaf and, and let's see what happens. And you know the story. It, it, if everybody had food. Everyone was fed a whole loaf. Every person in the increased size crowd. And they had, <clears throat> excuse me, they had two bags that were two-thirds empty and one that was one half. And they could not give away enough loaves to empty the bags because it just, it just increased. 
<clears throat> if, if we could hear the commissioning of the Lord and realize that he actually enables what he commands. I mentioned this morning the disciples' prayer that Jesus taught his, <clears throat> his guys to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe that to be the supreme, the number one commission that every other commission falls under. Because every other expression that you find, Matthew 10, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, cleanse lepers. All of that is an expression of on earth as it is in heaven. Everything, everything falls under that main commission. And the main commission is to pray and is to pray with intelligence. Is to pray with focus, is to pray with intentionality. This is the heart of God, so let's mirror the heart of God in our prayers. <clears throat> Part of the problem that we have is that we, we, we pray things. We pray things so abstractly that we can't recognize the answer when it comes. Or we pray for things that he's already done. It's easy to take on the, you know, we, we want to be able to check the box that we've prayed. You know, we, we, we want to be good at this Christian life. And so we're supposed to pray. And so we check the box that we've prayed. But we don't always pray with the intentionality that Jesus designed us to pray. And if I don't know how to recognize his answers, I won't, I won't be released into the joy that the answer brings. See, Jesus actually uh, stated in John 16, he said, uh, and anything you ask for will be done that your joy might be full. So his prescription for fullness of joy is actually through answered prayers. And if I don't pray things specific enough, tapping really into his heart and mind, if I don't pray specific enough, when the answer comes, I won't recognize it. And if I don't recognize the answer, I'll get no joy from the answers to prayer. I'll have to get my joy from the discipline of prayer. Yeah. When I get my joy from the discipline of prayer instead of the answers to prayer, I've exalted form above power. And that's where religion comes from. Wow. Wow. Praying things that move the heart of God, but that are also measurable in their answers, critical for us. We pray on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what does that look like? Jesus told us, demons leave. That's how it shows up. Sickness leaves. That's how it shows up. There are, measurable, there are measurable ways that these, these prayers are answered. If I know nothing about the reality of his world, I won't be able to recognize when his culture invades ours. Let me say that again. It felt so good the first time. I want to feel that good again. If I don't understand the nature of his world, when I pray, because see, when we pray on earth as it is in heaven, we're not just praying God destroy cancer. There's no cancer there. There's no demons there. There shouldn't be any. We're not just praying that. We're praying the reality of his world, the way the relationships work, the values work, the atmosphere of presence of worship, everything rotates around the presence of God. That entire cultural norm that exists there is supposed to come and influence this world. But if I don't understand what that one's like, I won't recognize it when it happens. Wow. 
In heaven, everyone is celebrated for who they are without being stumbled over for who they're not. In, every, in heaven, everyone is celebrated for who they are without a stumbling over who they're not. There's, there's a value system that exists there that is so unique. Everything, everything rotates around the actual manifest presence of God. Nothing, it, it, strangely, heaven is actually, I, I, this will probably sound heretical, but it won't be my first time. <laughs> be patient with me. Heaven is not just a location, it's a person because there's nothing in heaven separate from him. It wouldn't be heaven if it were separate from him. Living in Christ is a foretaste. These corporate times together of such, such an invasion, if I can use that term, an invasion of the spirit of God into this place, into into our very words, our very physical response. It's just absolutely glorious. It's just, it really is a foretaste. And I feel like the Lord, you know, it's Revelation chapter four, verse one, where he says, come up higher. I feel like that's the invitation that's in front of us right now is, is come up higher, come up higher. There's, there's more, there's more, there's more. And so learning how to recognize how his world functions and what his, what his values are and actually expecting them to happen in relationships, in, in the way we do life, in the way we view the world around us, in the way we, review, the way we view our responsibility as citizens of a community or, or a nation. All of those things have a backbone in the nature of the king and his kingdom. And the more we grow in our perception of the reality of his world, the more we will be encouraged by answers to prayer that where things shift in a relationship where it used to be this way and now God has touched hearts and, and it's different. I mean, we, we know what it is to celebrate peace and kindness and all that stuff. But when there's a cultural shift, see, culture takes time. When there's a cultural shift, you've actually seen a momentum of heaven affecting how we do life on planet Earth. This story is huge for me because it, it illustrates for me how, how a miracle in one, in one realm, um, food. I, food and I get along very well. We're, we're like this. We are best friends, actually. And coffee, you know, just throw it throwing coffee. We call it revival in a cup. <laughs> but this story is so critical because it shows me that I can experience something in God like the multiplying food and then be in a completely different context altogether. Nothing more different than a life-threatening storm than multiplying food. And yet... The DNA of this miracle was supposed to help me with the next challenge. But when there's hardness of heart to not perceive the divine moment that I'm in, the deposit that he's making in me to shift how I think, shift how I perceive reality. When I, I, I can live in the middle of these divine moments and miss, and I don't mean to make anyone paranoid or, or, or uh, too self-absorbed. I, I, I don't like that as an option. 
But I do want to throw out an invitation that the things that you and I are seeing in this day, every one of them carry the nutrients for emotional and mental divine health to alter our perception on how we see the world and how we see our assignment. It's contained in the miracle. In the multiplying of food was a grace, a perception that was supposed to help them fighting a storm. Our life is filled with this stuff. Our life is filled with this stuff. We, we can't afford to reduce our lives to that of spectators. But the best we know how to engage fully in embracing the assignments of the Lord. I love Matthew 10 where he says, heal the sick. Raise the dead. Yeah, we'll be able, that's impossible. The real problem is we think the rest of the Christian life is possible. Bill, we, we don't heal the sick. We pray for the sick. God heals the sick. I, I know, I get that. It's just not what he said. He has a habit of commanding us to do stuff we can't do. Either he's cruel, and we know that's not true, or he commanded us something that would ensure we would come into a place of dependency. I may never do it well, I just don't have the luxury of changing the assignment. Amen. point I'll make and then we'll move into a time of prayer for people. One of the things that I emphasized this morning is how uh, that statement that, uh, from Jack Hayford where, where what, what Mary thought disqualified her is actually what qualified her. And I feel like one of the things that's going to happen in this house is I know there are many uh, new believers. I, I'm so thankful for the constant uh, bringing in of people to come to know Christ here. It's, it's such a wonderful thing. But there are, are many people who have come into this place and are so happy to be belong to a family, but in their heart of hearts feel very, very disqualified from what God is doing because we just don't have that sense of self-worth. And I, I believe that the Lord is going to do a mighty healing and a deliverance of that, of that whole thing of disqualification where where we realize that the very thing that we thought kept us away from our destiny is the very thing he's going to use to launch us to our destiny. When you look at the crowd, 
that Jesus multiplied food for through the disciples' hands. You got that part, right? It says it was from a boy's lunch. What was the size of the crowd? 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So the child who didn't count The child who wasn't counted was the one who brought the breakthrough. Brought the seed of the miracle. I had a situation recently where the Lord gave me a very, very specific direction and a promise and an intended outcome. And I, I can't go into, it wouldn't be proper for me to go into the story, but I, I did everything I knew to do. I did what he told me to do. I did everything I knew to do. I prayed the way I'm supposed to pray. I prophesied the way I'm supposed to prophesy. I positioned myself for the, the actual breakthrough that God had promised. And when it was all said and done, I realized all I had to offer him, it didn't work the way I was expecting. All I had to offer was loaves and fishes that if he didn't bring increase, the breakthrough would never happen. And many of you who are involved in ministry, just doing the best you can, talking, praying with neighbors, people that you work with, you, you feel ineffective, ins, insufficient in a sense when you're done. At the end of the day, just don't feel like you really got the kind of breakthrough that you hear the testimonies of. And yet I'd like to say, um, welcome to the family. You're the child with loaves and fishes, and he's about to take what is insufficient for you, and he's about to multiply it to feed the multitude. Amen. Amen.